Luke Combs is one of the biggest stars in all of country music, and his path to that position is unorthodox, to say the least. It's only been 11 years that he's even been playing guitar. Absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, his first 11 singles went number one on the singles chart. His first album was number one on the album chart for 50 weeks, 5-0. And he only continues to ascend. This conversation will be enlightening for you guys. It certainly was for me. I've known Luke for a long time. We became buddies right around the time when he started to have a lot of commercial success. I remember I knew Hurricane, his first single. It had done really well commercially. It was on the radio all the time. But when I heard When It Rains, It Pours, his second single, I thought, I need to go down a rabbit hole, and I need to figure out what's really going on here because I loved how everything sounded sonically kind of from what I'd heard already that he was, he was doing, he and his team were producing. And as I listened to the entire first album, I thought, man, this is a very, very unique sound that you don't hear a whole lot right now in the format, in the genre. And I fell in love with it. And so I started really talking about him a lot uh, on ESPN platforms. I started writing about him on social media, and he saw that. And he wrote me back on social media, and we became friends right around that time and our relationship and friendship has grown over the years. We now uh, through the Southeastern conference network at ESPN uh, are going to be doing commercials together. So uh, a fascinating person who's had a wonderful career and he's just getting started, which you'll hear right here on the Marty Smith podcast at outsider studios. You're a unicorn in this town. Uh, the commercial success is astounding. You know, first 11 singles go number one, never happened before. First records, number one on the album chart for 50 plus weeks, never happened before. Second album, 25 plus weeks. Uh, when combined with your first one, never happened before. All these numbers are overwhelming. How do you explain what you've done? I don't know. I, I don't think there is really any explaining it. You know, it's just kind of, I, I try to not overanalyze it too much because then you start trying to, you don't want to like do something you've already done. You know, like I don't want to be like, well, how do I make my first record again? Because I already made my first record. It's over. You know what I mean? So I'm trying not to make the same thing twice. You know, like I don't want to be the guy that's like, well, that guy puts out an album and it's got this song and this song and this song on it. They're just a little bit different than the first one. So I don't know, you know, I mean, I guess sometimes you just get lucky. I mean, I, I mean, obviously I worked at it, but there's a lot of, I mean, there's a ton of luck involved, I think. And anybody that has success, anybody that tells you otherwise is lying, I think, you know, nobody's really got it figured out. If they did, there would be this playbook of here's how to do it. And then you would just sell that playbook to other people that wanted to do it and you know, why does Brady have seven Super Bowls? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of other really great guys who you could make an argument, well, maybe they're better quarterbacks, but they've only got two Super Bowls or what? You know what I mean? Like, or one Super Bowl or none. You know what I mean? So how do you end up being, you can be Dan Marino or you can be Brady, and they're both just as good as the other one, but one of them's got seven Super Bowls and the other one doesn't. I don't, I don't know. I just don't think there's any way to quantify it, really. 
How do you think Tom Brady would react to the fact that you just said him and Dan Marino are equally talented? I mean, he'd be upset about it, <laughs> probably. You know what I mean? Probably, probably be pretty upset about it. But I don't believe in luck, <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. Because I believe in blessings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you make your own luck. I think you make yep. your own luck with mm-hmm. hard work, determination, passion, kindness, effort, all those things. I yep. think they're, they're, this confluence of things puts you in positions for opportunity. Yeah. And I know this town is a son of a bitch in a lot of ways. Definitely. Right? There are so many yeah. amazing artists who never had even a chance to get a record deal. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. So when did you get lucky? I'm going to use your term. Yeah. What, what moments were lucky for you that allowed you this path? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess I, I, I see your point of like you make your own luck. And I guess it is. The more you think about it is there is more like, okay, well, then I wrote this song and then this song and then this song and then I did the album. And all those things were just these little steps that ended up with now. And so when I, I mean, when I wanted to teach myself to play guitar, I mean, that was 10 years ago. And it was like, I didn't pick it up and go, oh, man, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to be Garth Brooks. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like you just, that's an unrealistic goal. So. I would just go, okay, well, I want to be able to play a G chord and then want to learn the next chord that I need to learn. And I took steps that were, at the time, that small to go to get to where I am now. And I still take steps that are that small. It's just on a way huger level now. You know what I mean? Now I'm on the, you know, the highest floor of the high rise and I'm still trying to, now I'm just trying to build the next floor instead of walk up to the next one. You know what I mean? Like, it's all still easily achieved because I'm already, it wasn't like I started and went, how do I become this thing? Mm-hmm. That would just, there's no way to accomplish that goal in, with that mindset, I don't think. What comes with being <sighs> that two <laughs> steps from the top floor or that step from the top floor that you, didn't, <sighs> that, that you can't prepare for? I don't know. I think <clears throat> when, you're, when you're in that stage where you're like super like you're the newest guy and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this guy's, wow, he's unbelievable and never seen anything like it kind of thing. And then the next guy comes along that's the new guy. You know what I mean? Yep, sure. And it's like when you've stopped being the new guy, then it's kind of like everyone's like, they kind of expect it a little bit. And then people get in the like, well, I'm st- I've had, a, you know, maybe I've had enough of this guy. You know what I mean? Like it becomes a different thing. You know what I mean? Like everybody's kind of trying to, I don't know. I don't know. It's just different when you get up there and then you're trying to, I don't want to say stay there because I don't want to make it sound like I'm, oh man, I got to be at the top. That doesn't matter to me. Writing good songs and having people like my songs is what I really care about. You know what I mean? It's not success or money or anything like that. That stuff is great and it comes with I have all those things because of writing good songs and putting on a good show. And it's never, the goal was never to be super popular and, and have a bunch of money and stuff. That wasn't ever the goal, you know? We've been buddies for a while. Yeah. And so I know that you're like the most normal person that's a, a, achieved that kind of success. Yeah, I super glued so. these shoes back together. <laughs> that's true. Well, the Geo Tracker. Got a Geo Tracker? I do. Sweet, I do. It, yeah. it looks just like those shoes. It looks ju- It's camo. Yeah. The <laughs> wheels are spray painted. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, with a success, and, and you are just such a normal person, just a regular, regular, regular buddy, regular dude. Um, 
what, if any, challenge has there been to make sure that you stayed centered that way? Have you ever found yourself in a moment where you were like, maybe, maybe I'm thinking too much about all the minutia? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, you definitely, inevitably, you end up in moments like that. But I think I've always tried to surround myself with people that aren't afraid to tell me those things. You know what I mean? Whether that's my wife or, you know, I mean, you know, Harp. I mean, yep, he's all years outside the camera. Yeah. But like, they're all like nobody lets me go to that place. Like nobody fosters that everything you say is right and every decision you make is the right decision. Like people aren't, at least the people in my, you know, super close circle aren't afraid to challenge me on a creative idea or a song that I've written or something that I want to record. Like everybody's still okay with going, I don't think that's the best idea, man. Like that doesn't, that's not going to work. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the most important thing is being open to other people's opinions being better than your own opinion. Once you get to that point where you go, well, I'm here, I'm the guy and everything I think is right. That's when you start getting in trouble, I think. And I've tried to never let myself get to that point. Yeah. I've seen a derail careers in other worlds. For sure, man. I mean, when you think, oh, well, I'm the guy. So everything I, every idea I have is the right idea. I think that's the wrong thing. You know what I mean? When you got here to Nashville, what would you have considered a successful career? Man, I mean, being able to like live in Nashville, like being able to afford to live here and do music and not have to work would have been, that would have been what I called making it in my opinion, you know, being able to support myself and whatever my family were to end up being would have been, that would have been the ultimate goal for me. Just not having to have a job really. How far into it did you know? I mean, hurricane went number one, right? Like first mm -hmm. thing, but how far into it did you know? Maybe, maybe I can do that. I think it was probably when I was still in North Carolina, I knew that I could at least just play shows all the time and never, even if I were to have just stayed there, I could have just been in a band and, and made enough money to just, I mean, I was doing that already, you know. We'll get to that part. Let's back up to the path to here. Mm -hmm. Grow up in Asheville, mm -hmm. born in Huntersville, right where I live now, basically, Yep. right? Uh, what was growing up in Asheville like? Like, how did that impact the person you are? Well, I mean, I was an only child, so I, I mean, I think, you know, going back to the who you surround yourself with, I always had a bunch of friends because there was never, there wasn't another kid at home to be, I didn't have that brother, sister thing that a lot of people have, you know. Um, and so I think that was a, a major factor in it. I mean, obviously my parents worked super hard. Um, you know, to give us everything that we needed. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I was definitely not a kid that got everything he wanted for sure. It was like, we got food and we got a nice house <laughs> and you got new clothes and you got a book bag and you got one pair of shoes. It was like, that was the, that was it. But I didn't know anything else. You know yeah, what I mean? No. It wasn't like, I mean, we lived in a neighborhood where kind of everyone else was the same way. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, Everybody I went to school with in elementary school was kind of the same way. You know, I didn't have any, I didn't have a friend that I would have considered at that time to be rich until probably like 10th grade or something. Like I didn't, had never met anyone that had a lot of money or was like, had all this stuff to compare my life to, you know, I think. So that part of it was good because it was just like, well, man, my parents, you know, we, we're doing pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, and we did, we did do pretty good. You know what I mean? As far as 
we didn't go ever go on vacation or anything. So I, you know, I just went to school and it was like super normal, I think was the thing. It wasn't, I didn't have any like rough, you know, upbringing. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't, we didn't move house to house. It was like, we lived in Huntersville and then we lived in Asheville and then my parents still live in the same house still. They? That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's kind of, I think that was part of it. It's just like, I've always been that guy. I think I'd like to think my friends would tell you the same thing. And so, I mean, the guy I was in high school is, a, you know, similar to the guy I am now. So Asheville is this interesting mix of cultures. You it's gotten know? all chic now. Oh, man. I mean, it was even then it was considered, you know. Artsy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely different than Huntersville. Very different. You know, very different than Huntersville. And my parents, you know, my mom was born and raised in Charlotte, you know, and lived in that area her whole life. And so when she met my dad, you know, it was like they decided, I guess, when I was in elementary school that Charlotte was getting too big for them to be comfortable with. And they loved the mountains. That was kind of their place they liked to go vacation and stuff. And so... They decided they were going to do whatever it took to to be able to move there, and I think it was a little bit out of their price range, and so they made it work. You know what I mean? They saved up money, and we moved up there. A friend's dad let us; uh, he rented us a house that he had, like a little rental property, and we lived there for like a year until they found the house that we live in that my parents still live in now. And um, they just did whatever it took to to get me for whatever reason. You know, they wanted me to get out of Charlotte or wanted to get, you know, their family out of Charlotte. And so um, they moved there. My dad, my both my parents love music. Neither of them play music, but I think they're drawn to that. They like to go to concerts and, and do stuff like that. So I think Asheville was just more conducive of that than, than Charlotte was. I mean, Charlotte has the big shows, you know, but they want to go to, you know, the Orange Peel and go yeah. to... You know, a, a show with 900 people instead of a show with, you know, 25,000 people, I guess, was kind of, that would be a way to summarize it in a little bit, I guess. So if music, when did music enter your sphere? Like, what did y'all do as kids? Were you an athlete? Did y'all play ball all the time? No, I mean, nope. I mean, in the yard we did. Yeah. You know, I didn't play a team sport until probably, probably seventh or eighth grade. But it was just like... We didn't, all the leagues where I grew up, it was like you had to have money to play. Okay. There was no, like, even, there wasn't a free team to play on until middle school. There was no elementary school sports that weren't, like, you got to pay the fee and do the thing. And so we just never did that. You know what I mean? And so my parents also weren't moving there in seventh or eighth grade. They weren't plugged into that network of, like, you know, we didn't have a lot of, we didn't know anybody outside of our neighborhood, really, you know, except one or two kids. And it was like, by then, you're kind of, if you hadn't been, many time you're nine years old, you know, you ain't been, a lot of these kids have been playing since they were four. Yeah. You know what I mean? I so know. it was kind of like, we just never had the money for me to play any sports other than that. So I've been singing forever. I mean, that was just something I just did. I don't know why, but I just always sang. When there was music on, I would just sing it. When was the first time you were on stage? Probably like, I would say middle school again. Probably sixth grade. Talent sixth. contest or something? No, it was like I was in chorus class. Mm -hmm. And 
in sixth grade, they made us do one semester of every elective that they offered. So you did gym for six weeks, then you did band, and then you did chorus, then you did art, and then what was it like home ec? Or? They call it special. You, I know you're not a right. dad yet. <clears throat> yeah. They call it specials now. Specials? Yeah, that's what my, my that's what it is in my kids' school. Not electives. No, it's it's called specials, and they have they call it they don't even call it gym anymore. They call it PE. PE. Physical education. Physical I know that, education. but like they call it PE, like it's gym. Gyms, just gym class. Yeah. But yeah, so we did all those. And so the next year, when you were in seventh grade, you got to pick, like you could, what you could pick was you could do, there was like advanced chorus, which was you would take chorus as your elective for both semesters. And I was like, man, I was like, I can't do that because I got I to gotta do gym because I like gym. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, like I like playing dodgeball and going outside <laughs> and stuff. So I picked the like semester chorus and then my other one was gym. So then I did, I ended up finding a way to do both because my course teacher was like, hey, why don't you, I was in the semester one and that one was coming to an end and she was like, will you please do chorus again? So they saw the talent. I guess, but I was, but I enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't like, I wasn't like, man, this is going to, this is what I want to do. It was just like. Hey, here's a way to make a fourth of my school day not suck is to be in a course class <laughs> yeah. or gym class. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like that was kind of what I figured out was that if I could just sing for a fourth of the day, well, I like doing that. So I'll just do that instead of doing something else I don't want to do. You know what I mean? I don't want to be in math class, so at least I can be in a class that I want to be in for part of the school day, you know? And it really took off when you got to app, right? Yeah, it I became, guess it, it became a mission. It did like it was probably when I was like 20 or 21 it became. Because when I left high school, it wasn't like I didn't want to be a music teacher and so I didn't major in music. I really loved music at that point. I knew that I liked music a lot and I that I felt like I was good at it, but I didn't see any trajectory to making that something that I could do for a living. Because I just thought of it as like, well, you're either a music teacher or you just don't do music. You know what I mean? So all this mess you've achieved was so far out of the realm of even being in your brain. Yeah, it wasn't even there at all until I was until probably 11 years ago. None of it. Hadn't even thought of it. Considered it until 11 years ago. What a story. It's weird, for sure. But it was like once I figured it out, because I feel like I spent like my whole life going, man, like, and I, it was right there in front of me, but I was like, man, I'm just not good at anything, dude. Like I suck at football. (laughs) I'm like, you know what I mean? Like I'm not athletic. I'm not very smart. Like I'm not all these things that my friends were checking off. Like, you know, I mean, I mean, how Harp will tell you, he's over here. Like, I mean, one of our best buddies is a doctor. One's a pharmacist that, accountants like they're all like smart like, we're the two dumb guys <laughs> like you were looking at the dumb guys you know what i mean like and so it was kind of like man like all my friends got it figured out and you know halfway through college i'm like i can just tell this ain't gonna work you know like i'm just gonna milk it as long as i can be here and just drink and not have any responsibilities, then that'll be great. So I'll do that for like five years and then I'll just figure out what I'm going to do. 
So yeah, it was like, but once I figured it out, man, I was like. And when was that? that I mean, was what, like, what, was, what was the moment? When did you go, holy shit? My moment, it was it. like the first show that I ever played, which was, I had been playing in my living room and playing for my buddies and stuff a little bit. Not anything that I would have considered good, but I knew that I really enjoyed it, you know, and I knew that I liked it and I was interested in doing it, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. And that was a unique experience for me. It wasn't like, man, I'm going to try really hard to be good at school. And then I would just hate it. And I was like, I'd do good for a semester. And the next semester I'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm skipping class and stuff. Cause I was just, it wasn't fun. You know what I mean? So I started playing for people, you know, people would come over to the apartment and sit around and play and sing songs for people, cover songs and stuff. And one day I asked this guy, uh, this bar owner across the street, uh, I played rugby in college. It was, I enjoyed that, but it was like a club level thing. We you just maul, just maul, oh, dude. Yeah, it was just, that was it. It was just like pure aggression, pretty much at that point. You know what I mean? It frustration like, release. Yeah, Organ, pretty much. Frustration release. Organized frustration release. And I made a lot of great friendships doing that, and I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, but we had a bar we always went to called the Parthenon Cafe, and it was, I mean, it was lackluster to say that I, I can vision did it have like some columns out it did front? it did it did have some columns out front actually <laughs> um and so we would go there all the time and the owner was just this you know absolute wild card greek guy named nick like <laughs> definitely was like selling drugs out of there you know i don't know if he was or not that's probably a mean thing to say but it seemed like he was you know that I mean? kind of vibe it was very laid back feel, <laughs> to say the least, you know. So I, I had asked, I was working at a bar across the road, actually. I lived upstairs above this bar called the Town Tavern. And I was bouncing there. And I asked the owner, I was like, hey, man, well, you let me play a show here. And he was like, oh, we can't do shows because of the apartment upstairs. Because there's apartments upstairs. So in our lease, it won't allow us to have live music. You're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, dude, I live up there. And I was like, it's cool. Like, everyone would come down. Because we all knew each other, everybody that lived up there. Because um, it was like one of those, like, Myrtle Beach-style motels where there's the balcony and all the rooms. Are, you open the door to the balcony, so everybody would be out there smoking cigarettes in the morning and shit. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, man, I promise everybody would come down, and nobody would, like, call on you. And he still wouldn't let me do it, so... Um, I asked I asked Nick at Parthenon, I was like, man, you should let me play a show here. And he's like, yeah, just put it on the calendar. That was it. There was a calendar hanging on the wall, and he was like, just write on there whatever day you want to do it. And whatever, if you want to charge for tickets, I was like, we'll just charge a dollar for tickets or whatever. So the time come to do it, and I was like, man, I, I borrowed my neighbor's guitar because I didn't even have a guitar that could plug in. I just had a, an, a just acoustic. He had an electric acoustic, which was, that was high brown at the time for me. So he let me borrow his guitar, and then I borrowed some speakers from Adam Church, a buddy of mine that I ended up playing a million shows with there. And I went up there. There's pictures on my Facebook of this show somewhere. And it's like, I'm sitting in the bar, and I made like 200 bucks, man. Like 200 people came to see my first show. And that night was like, I can do that. I can do this all easy. You know what I mean? Like I knew, 
I'd already believed in myself from a singing perspective, you know what I mean? But being able to get up there and, and play covers and people enjoy it and come and I was like, man, if I do this routinely, you know, I can, people will know like, oh, well, he's playing, you know, Thursday night at this place and we'll go there and do that thing, you know? So I just started doing that. And then eventually I was doing that three, four nights a week. And then I did that for two and a half years, probably up there. Who said you got to go to Nashville? Man, I knew, I knew I had to go, you know, it was like, cause I was hitting this point where it's like, man, we were booking some decent gigs in town and. And then we started booking some decent gigs around North Carolina, which was like, by decent gigs, I mean gigs that now would be considered tragic. I mean, they were tragic <laughs> gigs. But for us, it was like, dude, we're playing Fat Frog and Elon, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, And they were fun, man. I had a great time doing those shows, man. I, I'm super appreciative of all those places that let us play, man. Because it was, I mean, I was the manager, the booking agent, you know, the book and all the hotel room. I mean, it was like, how does that benefit you now? Because if you know everything that goes into the operation, and of course right. the operation now is on steroids, <clears throat> mm -hmm. but nonetheless, you have at least some semblance of an idea and an understanding what all those logistics are. Yeah. I think it, I think it, sometimes you can get in Nashville a little bit, like it can be, well, someone will come to town. Someone was asking me this the other day. I, I can't remember who it was. And I think it was when we were, at the New York shows, like this past weekend, somebody was like, it was the runner. We were going to play golf and he was like, you could tell he kind of like knows a little bit about the music business. And he's like, he's like, so man, did you actually like grind it out? Or are you one of these guys that moved to Nashville and then you just got on these big tours? And I was like, I was like, first off. Unique delivery? It's like, first off, like. I'll jaw you, dude, right here, like right now, <laughs> while throw, you're driving. I'll throw you know? punch you, man. Yeah, but it was like, I was like, and but then it made me realize, like, that is a thing that does happen in town. Like, there is a lot of, and dude, not that I don't just take anything away from those folks. Because if I had had that opportunity, I would have taken it too. Of course. But you move to Nashville and someone goes, God, that guy's hot. Get him on stage singing songs. Here's a bunch of great songs. Go sing them and be hot and do your thing. I would have loved to have done that. No that would doubt. be have been great to do. I mean, I'm glad that I did it the way I did, but I don't take anything away from anybody that's done that either because, I, I mean, nobody would pass that opportunity up. But I think having done it the way I did, it's like you understand. I think it changes a lot of the people that you root for, the people that you want to bring on tour with you. I think it affects those things in a in a sense where you go, well, man, you got a lot more respect for somebody who's done it this way rather than that way. And not that there's anything wrong with that way. It's just that, I don't know, if you grew up farming, mm -hmm. you got a lot more respect for farmers than okay. somebody that didn't grow up farming. You know what I mean? So that's the way I view it. You know, not to take credit away from anybody else, but I find myself more drawn towards artists that have come up that way, who have like struggled in a sense. And I know it probably don't sound like I've struggled because it only, I mean, it took me 11 years to get to now, which in the terms of the music business is a really short amount of time. Well, but, there are some people who are here 11 years and never get anything. I mean, they never right. get anything. I mean, we, you know, I know people that are just, you know, I mean, been here 12 years and they're just now getting a record deal and they're just now starting to get some stuff going for them. You know what I mean? So I'm very thankful for, in a lot of ways, I am a quote unquote overnight success in the sense of, 
I kind of came out of nowhere and, and things happened. So I'm sure there are a lot of people that go, oh, that guy just, you know, some record label found him. And, but I got turned down by a bunch of record labels before I got my deal. You know? Why? Like, I don't, I'm don't, 300 pounds, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, look at Riley Green. It was all, I know, Riley Green's a handsome man. God, in fact, my wife just, if we went to see he's him handsome. in Dirks the other night, and my wife uh, sent a picture to all of my friends and said, yeah. this is officially my new crush. There you go. Rightfully Riley. so. Yeah, he's a handsome somebody. God dang, good he's what, 6'4 guy, athletic Jack. guy. But you know what? Good hair. He's a good dude. Yeah. He's talented. He writes his own songs. I can't take nothing away from that guy. He's awesome. So, you know? so, so aesthetics. Aesthetics. They impacted you. They at at the time I moved to town, they were super important. I don't think they are as much now. Is that it, because of you? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, I I would say. I mean, Chris Stapleton happened before I did. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that. I mean, I think he definitely kicked the door open for someone to go. Well, look at this guy. Not that Stapleton's a bad-looking dude. That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> I don't take anything away from him. You know, I mean, he's incredibly talented. But I think he made people snap out of it for a minute and go, my God, dude, like, how could we have missed this guy? Yeah. I mean, he was in town how long? 15 a, a, years? A decade plus Man, writing for everybody. 300-and-something cuts as a songwriter. Yeah. And to have never been given the opportunity, really. I mean, he had a record deal, and it was – he had that – First song he put out, which was so good. I used to cover in college, man. I just did a cover of it again recently. But what are you listening to? Yeah. song was awesome. We beg him to play it, and he won't. It's one of my wife and my favorite songs, God, so and good. he won't play it. I don't so know why. good. I don't know. You can play it for us. I'll play it for you. I'll play it for you. <laughs> but, but it was like I think that, that was a big moment where people went, oh, man, this guy's just so talented you can't. There's no denying it. You know, and I'm not that not saying that I was like that, but he was that was his moment when he got up there with Timberlake and stuff. It was just yeah, it was an unbelievable moment. I mean, it was like the cat was out of the bag. You know what I mean? Like it was like you can't not that anybody was hiding him. I just think nobody thought, well, we'll put this guy out there and people will love him. He just got that opportunity and everybody saw him and so many people loved him that town was like. Well, we can't not put this guy out there because people love him. Look at him. I mean, look at this. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the talent. One thing that you both have in common, and I, you can rebut me because I don't know if I know what I'm talking about, but you both make it look so easy. You make, yeah. you make singing, which is not easy, mm -hmm. look so easy. Man, he's, yeah, he's on another level, man. I mean, he's a he freak. Just, he is, absolutely. I mean, he's unbelievably talented in so many ways. Guitar player, songwriter, singer, overall musician, you know, I mean, just, yeah, the guy's, he's beyond anybody else, I think. How, how easy is it for you? Like, how easy is it to sing? It comes pretty natural. I mean, it's a full-time gig being able to sing all the time. What, what goes, is it, uh, do you do all the vocal stuff yeah. and all that? Yeah, I do. I mean, before every show, I do at least a 20-minute warm-up, you know, which is like just in a bathroom somewhere by myself. You know? I'm not asking you to do it, but what's that, what's that entail? Are you like singing? Mm -hmm. or are you, okay. Yeah. No, you're singing. Okay. Yeah. And then you take, you do the 20 minutes, and then you rest for 30 minutes. And then you then try to time this out with, right, you try to time that out with, so an hour before the show, 
I do my 20 minute warm up and then I got 30 minutes and then it's like, then make a drink, talk to the guys and go walk out kind of thing. That's how I try to time it up. When you're months into a tour, mm-hmm. are you just, are you, is your throat just fried? Sometimes, I mean, it depends how you're taking care of it. You know what I mean? I mean, I usually, I mean, no, it don't look like it, but I, last tour I had, I mean, I had a personal trainer out every day. I mean, it was like intense workouts every day, you know, not only I'm eating my weight and meatloaf afterwards, but you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, that's the things that I would do to like, to keep it going is like, I'll do an hour workout that makes me want to die and do my warm ups and not drink as much and not talk to anybody to be able to do the shows, you know? And I miss the, oh, I'll just, you know, have some drinks and go out there and, but it's so big now, I can't do that, you know? I can't risk canceling a show anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? You cancel a bar gig, it's like, oh, whatever, you know, I'll get somebody else to do it. Yeah, you got 25,000 people in the joint. They're waiting, dude. Yeah. They're showing up, you know what I mean? And canceling's not, I mean, it's a huge obligation to cancel because you got to reschedule. I mean, there's so many people's lives that are affected by that. So it becomes, I mean, a grind for sure, man. It's like, it's like being a, the, it's the equivalent to being a professional athlete singing wise though. Obviously it's not anything like being a professional athlete, but the regimen to like keep your voice going when you're out there is like, it is to that extent, like you're eating the right stuff and you're, I mean, you're doing it the right way when you're out there. At least I am. What's that? What, what's that weight when you're the like you're the person that they're all there to see? You're the person that all of these folks' livelihoods mm-hmm. depends on. What's that weight? I mean, it's a lot for sure. I mean, it's a lot of pressure in the sense of you know you do have to. Anybody else could have an off day, and it might be, and it's all right. The lighting guy has an off day. It's okay, man. Everybody in the crowd's going, man, I feel like the lighting guy had an off day today. <laughs> yeah. No one's going, man, that guitar player missed a note, you know, on this thing, and ugh, it's not his day, you know. Because all that stuff, even if someone messes up, reflects on me. Everyone's mistakes are my mistakes, not just my mistakes. So You're I try my back, best. Bro. Right. So I try my best to eliminate my mistakes. You know, and I still make them all the time. You know what I mean? But you try to get, no one goes, you know, if my, you know, guitar player jumps into the crowd and punches somebody, nobody goes, man. You know, nobody really blames him. It kind of ends up being the headline says Luke Combs guitar player. Right. Not that guy's name. You know what I mean? It's like my guitar player did this. Right. So that part of it's interesting, but I don't mind it, man. You know, it's worth it. One of the coolest parts about success is when you get to enjoy it with your buddies and bring your buddies along with you. For sure. And you've been so amazing at that part mm-hmm. of it. Guys that you wrote with before you, we knew your name mm-hmm. and that are friends of yours to this day. For sure. What's that, what's that joy for you being able to give? That's a gift. For sure, man, it's, it's so much more rewarding, you know what I mean? Because if it was like, if it was just wash, rinse, repeat thing, you know, it's like, there's a lot of really great songwriters in town that, you know, I haven't written with, and it's nothing against them, but it's like, they don't need my help, man. 
You know what I mean? And not that I feel like I need to help anybody because my friends that I write with are helping me as much as I'm helping them. We sit down and write a great song and I put it out. Well, I'm the one that gets 98% of the glory for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, they get, you know, they get paid for it and, and that stuff, but nobody's going, God, man, you're, you know. No, but they don't get as much credit as they deserve. So I think being able to do that thing and saying, man, these guys believed in me before anybody else did, and they went out of their, they made time to write with me, you know what I mean? I mean, that's something that I appreciate, you know what I mean? I mean, that means a lot to me. It was funny. Some of the people watching, listening may not be aware of, of our Southeastern Conference partnership now, but mm-hmm. I'll try to give the, actually, I should probably let you tell the story, uh, but I will tell you this. I get this random text out of nowhere, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. from Dan Isbell, mm-hmm. and it all it says is, thank you so much. And I wrote him back for what, <laughs> like for what, and <laughs> right. and it, but but what a journey that for has sure, been man. for us, mm-hmm. for all of us. Yeah, I mean, for you know, think about a guy like Dan. Three years. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, Dan just had his first number one a couple months ago. Yep. You know what I mean? And he's like, he's been in town twelve years or thirteen years trying to do it, and. It never happened, you know what I mean? But, like, it has now, you know what I mean? And I mean, we write together all the time, and he's writing with other, you know, really prominent folks now, and that's a great thing, you know what I mean? So, but <clears throat> that song, when that came about, it was like, it was my old publishing deal. When did y'all write it? What year? We wrote it in Orange Beach, Alabama, in the parking lot, on my bus, in probably 2018. 2018. Song's called South. It was the night of the shoe game, the Zion Williams shoe game. Oh. I think it was February 20th. And if I'm right, that is ridiculous. The reason I think I'm right is because I was on a boat with that man right there somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah. We watched it on TV, drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that was that day. I had written it that morning or that kind of thing. And Jonathan and Dan had... uh, you know, they had gotten hit up by my publisher at the time, and they were like, hey, the it was like, here's the thing that was weird about it to me, and somebody in the ether of the Internet can probably clear this up at some point. So I get hit up, and it's like, hey, ESPN is looking for a song for the exactly what we're doing now. Yep. Which may have not been true at all. I don't know if that's true at all. I'm glad that somebody said that or someone lied to me about that or something because here we are now. You know what I mean? But at the time, I remember going, well, God, man, I mean, there's no way this gets done before football season happens. You know what I mean? Like, that's a couple months from now. You know, this is going to be a whole thing and there's going to be stuff going on. And nobody even heard it. If I wouldn't have sent it to you, no one would have ever heard that song. It'd be sitting in my phone right now and be like, God, remember that thing we did that obviously was a bunch of bullshit that no one had ever heard about? You know, that's happened to multiple times with so, different things. You know what I mean? So I get, I get a phone call. And I guess you probably called me in 2019, maybe. You might have called me in 18 or 19. I don't know. Yeah. But Luke goes, what's up, bud? What's up, man? 
He goes, look, I got this song. I'm going to send it to you. I need you to listen to it. Uh, I want to get it on the SEC somehow. I want to be involved in the SEC. I'm like, okay, cool. He sends it to me. I'm like, why isn't this on the SEC? <laughs> right, right. And so I start running it up the ESPN flagpole, tell my bosses about it. I start having all these meetings with the ESPN music people. Mm-hmm. And anytime that you get to that level, there's all this red tape. Like, okay, who sure. are the writers? What's the mm-hmm. publishing aspects of it? I said, mm-hmm. listen, I know everybody involved in this. Right. It can be worked out really easy. No, and, it, you know, it becomes this whole thing. Well, then, after that, you call me back or text me or whatever, and you're like, hey, dude, call off the dogs. I think I'm putting it on my record. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll call off the dogs. Well, yeah. then, fast forward to Thanksgiving 2020. Mm-hmm. That's when this thing really got yeah. rolling. Mm-hmm. You text me and go, hey, you need to talk to Harp and Cappy because we want to get this thing on the SEC. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, hey, do like, all this well, work shit. and then don't do all this work and then do all this work again. And so right. we had this big meeting and I just was hell bent and determined that yeah. we were going to do it and we did it. And so now... South Anya is the anthem of the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is about. so fun. It's crazy to think about that. It's perfect. When will I have to add Oklahoma into it? Yeah, you're going to add Texas. Well, Texas is already Texas in there. Texas is kind of in there. It's yeah. already in there, luckily. Yeah. But where am I going to put You know what I mean? You're going yeah, to have to like write an addendum for yeah. Boomer Sooner somewhere in there. <laughs> A fourth verse, secret verse. It's like uh, friends in low places. Yeah, like that'll be. Yeah, that's right. I only play it live. live. Yeah, I only yes. play it live. Yeah, and maybe you should get a kiss my ass in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'll just sing Oklahoma at the end really long. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yeah. Uh, couple more things. Um, how did meeting Nicole and marriage change your worldview or your perspective on your career? A ton, man. I mean, it was like obviously I've how'd had, y'all meet. We met, uh, we had met through some mutual friends in town, mutual acquaintances kind of thing before. And then we met, she was working at BMI and they do a songwriters festival in Key West. And then we actually ran into each other again there and then hung out. And it was like, and then a few weeks later when I got back to Nashville, maybe a month later or something, we hung out and went on a date and then here we are. That's great. I mean, it's crazy. You know what I mean? It just kind of happened. And I mean, I think when we met, it was like I had, I was driving a $2,000 neon, uh, no record deal, no publishing deal, no cuts. I mean, nothing. I mean, I had nothing going on. I had a booking deal. Maybe I'd gotten my booking deal. and was like, had opened a couple of shows for some people, but I hadn't played in like a year at that time. And Dude, I mean, when I ran into her in the Keys, I was wearing uh, camo mossy oak gym shorts and a pink, like a salmon Columbia PFG T-shirt with a pocket on it. On the back, it had a big-ass tarpon on it, and it said, luck has nothing to do with it on the back. That's the theme. Still have it. Still have the outfit <laughs> to this day. And... uh but I was like, man, if this girl wants to even look at me wearing these clothes, let alone when I'm even dressed up, but wearing this, because I was going out. I mean, I literally had went out. My my roommate was Channing Wilson at the time, who you may No know. way. I love that guy. Yeah. And so, amazing human being. He is. 
And uh, so I was actually going to see him. He was playing a show. We were staying in the same hotel room. So we were, he was playing a show at, it used to be called Kelly's, but I think it's called something else now. Um, but I was just literally walking over there by myself in the aforementioned outfit that I was wearing, sandals, you know, and I just ran into her and a couple other people. And there was a um, Travis Denning, who I knew. Yep. He was, it was like him and then like a couple other folks. And they were coming out of a place and I happened to walk by. And I was like, hey, that's that chick I met a couple weeks ago who was like super nice or whatever. And that was it. I mean, that was literally, that was it. That was like how we hung out the first time. And we just now ran into each other and now we're married. Yeah. Yeah. Now she's the girl in the song like 35 times over. Yeah, for sure, man. For <laughs> sure. I think people are probably sick of hearing me. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Does that weird though that like people use your stuff about your wife as their wedding song? No, I think it's cool, man. Okay. I think it's neat. You know what I mean? I think it's a, you know, it's a neat thing. I mean, I think that's why you write them, man. Mm -hmm. You're writing songs for other people to like them. Obviously, you want, you know, you want to like them yourself, and you want your wife to like them. But the whole idea of this thing is, you know, you don't make a painting to not hang it up and have people look at it. You know what I mean? And put it in their house and go, man, that's cool. That's a cool tarpon I got on the back of my shirt. You know what I mean? Somebody painted that. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's changed. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like you got this, this like thing you're like working towards you know what i mean like you got like a reason to go other than before it was like man i really want to do this and prove it to myself that i can do it and i really think i have what it takes and now that's kind of shifted a little bit where it's like well i've i've done it in a lot of ways but i still have a lot of things i want to achieve but it's also like i want to do this for you know my family you know what i mean my potential you know future kids and my wife and stuff you know like i'm doing it for her too you know what i mean so if you had nothing going on, yeah. right, at all, and she shows interest in you and y'all start dating and all that, mm -hmm. like where was your self-confidence level in that time in your life and what impact did she have on it? I mean, I think it was instrumental, really. I mean, for me, you know what I mean? I think it was definitely a confidence booster for me, man. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, she was just easy to hang out with, too. You know what I mean? And that was the thing that I that I love about her so much is it's not like she doesn't like expect anything from me. She doesn't really ask for anything. Like she was making she was probably making six figures when we met. She was working at BMI and working four shifts a weekend at Tootsie's. So I mean, I was making no money at that time. I mean, barely I was making enough money off my songs from college to pay my rent and not have to have a job. That's how much, that's what I was making. So probably 30 grand a year, 20, 25 maybe, no publishing deal. She bought dinner the first time y'all went out? For sure, man. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? It was like, but I mean, that was like, I knew at that time it was like, man, this is the, you know, like how do you, you're never going to find that again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then things just took off from there, man. Like I'm just, I'm thankful I met her when I did, you know what I mean? Because who knows where where I'd be now. Yeah, authenticity is you know I mean? beautiful. For, it is, man. It is. Last thing, I'll let you run. I've kept you forever. Where Where do you, I know you know, You said to start, you're not, you're trying so hard not to think too hard about all of this. Mm -hmm. Like, where do you want it to go? Where, 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 how do you want this thing to evolve? 
I mean, I have two sides of it. I have one side that's like, I'm accomplished so much and I'm so thankful for that. And then I have this other side that wants to be the best ever. So I try to meet in the middle of those two things. I want to go, you know what I mean? I want to have the proverbial Jumpman logo of country music. That's what drives me now is like, I want to be in the conversation. You know what I mean? Eventually. And that's like, that's a driving force for me. You know what I mean? It's like, why is Tom Brady playing another year of football? He's already the best ever. Why I keep going? You just, I don't know. It's like this thing. It's like a, it's like a Jordan thing. Like it's like, there is like a competitive aspect to it. I think that's what drives you is you want to be, like I want to be the best. I didn't come here to go, I'd like to be okay. I would be fine with that. I don't have this ego that goes, I have to be the biggest guy and the best guy all the time. I don't. Do I want to be? For sure. What criteria what? define that for you? I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I think it's hard to quantify in, in what we do because it's not like, well, he's won the you know championship seventh. There's this finite thing in certain sports, you know what I mean? The MVP awards and the... I mean, I guess there's kind of that. You got your Entertainer of the Years and your tour ticket sales and your number one songs. I guess there is that thing. And I don't have to have any of that. I, I would be fine. You know, if, I, if it all stopped tomorrow, I would be okay with it. But since I'm here and since I'm in the position I'm in, I don't see why not go after the record for whatever that may be. You know what I mean? Totally do. I, I mean, why not? Agree. Why not? You know what I mean? I'm in that position now, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, once-in-a-generation opportunity that I have, you know, to, to, to be the best. And, I, you know, I'm definitely going to give it my all to, to make that happen. Whether it does or not, that's all right, you know. I love your spirit, man. Thanks, bud. I appreciate, appreciate your it. friendship. Yeah, man. And Likewise. I just love, I love your energy. Thank you for being here today. I told you guys, he's so interesting, and for somebody who's achieved such a claim, it always intrigues me what a normal dude he is and how he's remained so grounded and been able to keep the main thing the main thing. And you heard him say it there during our interview, if I'm writing good songs and producing good songs, then the rest is going to take care of itself. I don't care about fame. I don't care about money. Sure, those things are nice, but that's not what he's in it for. And learning about his wife, Nicole, and how they met and how that relationship unfolded is also equally interesting because when you have somebody that you can lean on that way, somebody that is going to give you the truth, somebody who is not going to sugarcoat what they think and you know that it's unequivocal love, uh, is an amazing thing and infuses you with self-confidence, which in that business is something that's very important. I loved what he said right there near the end. I want to be the greatest of all time. I want to be the greatest that ever did it. And I thought that was such a revelatory comment from Luke because it's really not an easy thing to say. Even if you feel that way, when you're in the business of entertainment and you're going to go out there every single night and you're going to play to those crowds and the fact is, this town's a bunch of piranhas. Nashville, Tennessee is a very cutthroat place for people who are in the music business. 
And so you have to go out there every night thinking you're the baddest SOB in town. Whether you are or not, you got to go out there feeling that way. And so with someone who's achieved so much to sit here, right over here, in our studio and say, yeah, if I don't get there, if I'm not the greatest of all time, that's okay. It doesn't define me. But that's the position that he's in. He's achieved historic commercial success in this town. And so that's where his mind is. I want to continue to strive and continue to work to become the greatest that's ever played, ever written, ever sang country music. What a hell of a statement. And you heard it here at Outsider Studios on the Marty Smith Podcast. We're so grateful for you guys. Thank you so much for watching or listening or both, whichever way you consume this work. It's the joys of our lives, everybody involved in this project, to get to sit and learn about these folks that we hear on the radio all the time. We pay our money to go see their concerts because they infuse us with joy and purpose. And to learn about those paths is fascinating for me. And thank you guys. You guys make it possible. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Please tell your friends about this. If you love country music and you have buddies who love country music, tell them what we're doing here at Outsider. It's a very unique property. It's a very unique place and community to come hang out and feel American as hell and champion folks who have great empathy and folks who love the outdoors and folks who love country music and all that comes with that. We're grateful to get to do it. We appreciate you guys being a part of it. I'm Marty Smith. This is my podcast at Outsider Studios. Be well, everybody.